Hello and welcome. You are listening to Navigating the Metaverse, where we interview trailblazers in the NFT and metaverse space who share their insider advice for how to do business in the Web 3.0 era. Your host is Maso DiBartolo. By the way, did you know that you can buy, sell, and trade virtual land inside of Upland, the metaverse that is mapped to the real world? You can download Upland on iOS or Android or enter it on the web by using the referral link in the show notes. Grab your special sign-up bonus of 6,000 UpX today and start rebuilding the world with others. With that being said, enjoy today's episode. And good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are tuning info. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, another episode of Navigating the Metaverse with a tremendous lineup today that I would like also here to introduce. And I would like to kick off things with Marisa Lam as the Head of Marketing of Communication at OliveX, a fitness metaverse that enables real-world fitness to merge with the digital universe. Marisa, what a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And we have Brian Trunzo in the metaverse lead of Polygon Studios, a global sustainable Web3 infrastructure on Ethereum. Brian, what a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. And we have Trey Pizzetti. I think the pronunciation here on the English would be Pizzetti, right? But because I'm an Italian, it's Pizzetti, okay? <laughs> Is the director of Wayner NFT, a consultancy that partners with the world's top intellectual property owners to develop marketing leading NFT programs. Trey, what a pleasure to have you today. Excited to be here. Well, navigating the metaverse is all about really opportunities in the metaverse, right? And often we get asked the questions of NFTs and the link to the metaverse. And when we discuss that, there often comes up a word which is utility. How to, how to use and leverage NFTs as a utility asset within the metaverse. And given the fact that I like here really your value proposition, Marisa, of real-world fitness that merges the digital, uh, digital and the physical world. How would you describe utilities of NFTs in the metaverse? What are you doing in this, in this realm? I love that question. Um, if I may, I would actually use a visual narrative to kind of explain what a um, utility NFT would mean um, to us. Um, so obviously for us, we... Uh, we we uh, in the um, move to earn space and we try to create gamified fitness experience. So what we have currently is a running app. So imagine that say um, if you're given a yellow NFT jersey, you could be able to run faster in the running app. Um, but then if we also then have another kind of riding game and we could, you know, the the, the options is limitless. You could then have a, a rowing game. You could have climbing game. So essentially, the utility means. Um, the NFT that gives you a function or either boost the performance or give you access to something. But then you can then carry this to another game and bringing that in is actually called interoperability because this utility doesn't only allow you to stay in one game, but it allows you to perform better in other games. So that's in a nutshell how I would describe it if you can visualize it. Basically a yellow jersey that you can take to a different game and it gives you a different performance um, rating. 
I love it. So on one hand, it's basically mechanics around gamification, which builds a loop of, of you uh, being more hooked and being an environment, right? So it's almost a retention and engagement mechanics. And then on the other hand, interoperability, right? And there are a lot of things to unpack, right? But I want to hear Brian's experience, right? What have you seen, Brian, being part of the Polygon studio, right? In terms of really adding value to this digital asset that has been flying through the roof since uh, early 2021. Yeah, you know, we're in a really great position to have a wide aperture on this to see who's building on Polygon's rails um, and, you know, fostering relationships and helping them use the technology uh, in innovative ways. So from Dustlin Runner uh, straight across to the open uh, sort of social spaces that we see, these sandbox-like environments, Decentraland, Sandbox, Somnium, Voxels, and the list sort of goes on and on. To speak on utility for a second and to piggyback off Marissa, you know, there's that idea, that gamer idea of like buffs and buffs and debuffs, right? We've seen this in MMOs, we've seen this in RPGs and action games. You use an item, it either increases your stats, decreases your stats. So that that's an incredible utility today, of course. Um, thinking future state, you know, as we pace towards this Ready Player One type world or Snow Crash-like existence, no matter how short we fall of it, uh, I am of the belief personally that uh, NFTs will be utilized in the way that physical objects are utilized in the real world, right? So uh, there will be a limited amount of these coffee cups within these virtual worlds. Um, they don't have to have any sort of, um, you know, large value associated with them. You know, it doesn't have to be a three ETH coffee mug, right? There could be a million of them. Uh, but the utility will be that you actually physically use it in these worlds. Um, so for me, that's the, the future state. That's what's super interesting. Uh, and if we're going to transition into Trey, I would love to hear his point of view on this because Vayner is doing some amazing things with NFTs that's bridging a current state to future state, right? Like, like the token gating part, you know, the, the, the increased fandom and all that. So not to give you a talking point, not to become the podcaster. Sorry, Tommaso, but it felt like a good transition. So I'll throw it out there. Brian, this is, this is all collaborative. We have the Web3 spirit. So thanks for doing this, Trey, up to, uh, where it does up to you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think what's really exciting for us is like there is a space right now for a lot of brands and IP owners to play. You know, I think we talk about a lot of future states in crypto where, you know, we're fully involved in metaverses and, you know, these digital experiences are, are, are built out more. However, today there is a lot of very interesting things you can do. And, and a lot of that is about building a community and you've seen communities come in like Board at Yacht Club and, and build that from scratch. But you've also seen brands like Adidas be able to come in and really seed themselves in the industry by making very good collaborations and then build out programs that, that actually have that real world and that physical utility combined with that digital utility. So for us, that's, that's really exciting. And I think that um, it's a lot different than um, the communities that brands have built in the past where you just have avid fans and you might be able to talk to them on social media. They might be able to follow you. But now you just have that more in-depth um, relationship with them where they actually own a piece of that community and can participate in those different ways. And you can reward them and, uh, and potentially, you know, for the consumer, if you get an early on a brand, they can make revenue on the NFT if the popularity and demand goes up. And for the brand, if you have a royalty on it, it becomes a, a way for you to um, have an additional stream of revenue. So from our side, it's super exciting. And, and we just are, are very interested in, um, in those relationships and communities that can be built around a lot of these traditional IP. And Brian, I actually have a quick question back at you. Because um, that I was thinking about when you were talking, um, and one of the the things that I've I've heard a ton about is you know 
gaming using blockchain and the idea that this is going to become more and more. And it's something that I'm super bullish in personally with the knowledge, limited knowledge I have. However, it seems like a lot of the traditional gaming community might be a little bit um, hesitant to jump right into some of these games. Have you seen that as well in your day-to-day work? Uh, and, and what have you guys kind of uh, thought about that as we project forward? Yeah, you know, zooming out on the climate and talking about sort of like the consumer trends and, and some of the headlines that we see about certain gamers, I like to imagine that it's a vocal minority. Um, we don't have like robust data on this, but it is a, a, a non-insubstantial amount of gamers who have been vocal against NFTs. Uh, I like to imagine uh, that they are vocal against NFTs because one, they don't really understand it. The, the education uh, isn't there for them. It's not easy to understand. You have to be motivated to understand it. Uh, and then two, um, for the last 25 years, you know, game studios, developers, publishers have really tarnished their reputations for having been somewhat, sounds strong, but abusive of gamers to the point that in a gamer's mind, if, uh, you know, if a, a studio or a game is, is cramming something down their throat, it's sort of like a zero sum game. It's like, how, okay, you're excited about NFTs. How is this screwing me on the back end? Like, this is not a good thing for me, right? We saw this with loot boxes, uh, you know, the free to play model, it took years for that to take off. And um, gamers just feel kind of abused by the studio. So I, I think uh, the studios need to educate, they need to rehabilitate um, their reputations with their gamers. Uh, and the blockchains and the developers, we need to do a better job of that as well. Uh, but I do believe that there is a genie out the bottle moment, right? Where uh, once the education takes hold and once the killer ap- applications uh, are disseminated, uh, that gamers will realize the power of NFTs, that it's actually there to empower them, to own their assets and to unlock their creativity, to give them tools to be more composable and to generate UGC that is simply not possible as user-generated content that's not possible uh, in the Web2 world. So I think there's a lot of factors that play into that. Um, so hopefully I summarized it in, in a not-too sort of expansive way. And I love actually, it. And, yeah, go ahead, Barry. I would have to actually, that question for you. Go ahead. And to actually add to that point, you know, I do think some gamers are slightly skeptical, but I think they're skeptical for a reason, because I think a lot of games um, were rolled out or launched um, without really having gamers as their main audience. Like because of, you know, play to where I moved to and a lot of people started to think about how do I capture the wave and they started to think um, first and the game experience second. And that's where they're actually losing their players. Um, and fitness games, for example, and one thing that we're really trying to recenter ourselves is, you know, we want to be build the best fitness community period and it's not best fitness community in web3 and you really have to go back to the core of why you're doing this and one example of utility that we're looking to build in is um, for anyone who wants to stay active i think you want the resources to be able to build your active lifestyle and how do you do that is you know in a real world you find a personal trainer then why can't we bring these trainers to our discord um, we gate it by NFT, and if you get some levels, you know, either by engagements, then you get some access to our resources, which will then help you build an active lifestyle. Everything is just an ecosystem, and we just have to make sure that we bring it back to the core, which is how do we give them the experience that we want to bring, uh, give to our players. That that resonates a lot with me, Marissa. Um, I feel like a lot of times, like as people who are super bullish on the technology, we're like, how can we fit the technology to like a use case when it really should be like, what does a consumer need and how can we leverage that technology? So it's like almost like an inverse in thinking. Um, and I think we're like, as a, as a web three community, we're moving a lot in, in the right direction there, but it's just a, a good thing to keep in mind. I love it. So ultimately what we are saying here is 
regardless of Web 2 or Web 3, what hasn't changed is that we're still solving a problem at the center of all this, right? And yes, we are solving it with a different method and different and different benefits, right? Which is ownership, interoperability, connection to physical with the digital world, right? And this changed humans' behavior, right? But ultimately, hey, we want to create the best fitness experience, for instance, right? So it's not about how we are doing it, right? So I really love it, and uh, and this brings me also to the other topic, uh, Marissa. I want to uh, double click on, you know, we've been talking here about, you know, the questions that came from Trey about user acquisition and gamers. Gamers definitely, you know, have been, uh, you know, a very uh, vocal or maybe less so vocal, but definitely have had an opinion about Web two towards Web three, right? And that's a specific target audience. And if we picture also the fact that uh, nowadays metaverses or the word metaverse is often interpreted and uh, or even has a misconception my point of view, that it's just about gaming and playing, right? Uh, the question comes up, user acquisition, right? How are we acquiring users? Definitely the method of marketing, user acquisitions, right, is different. Marissa, you being in charge of head of marketing communication at OliveX, right? What have you learned that you say, what is different Web 2 versus Web 3, right, in terms of acquiring user, retaining user, and keeping them engaged? Um, honestly, I think the simplest way um, that has worked so far is try to reduce the fiction as much as possible. First of all, our app is actually free to play. Um, that kind of wins you a certain amount of user base or you know acquisition at, at the very beginning. And then you look at ways to retain them. And how do you do that? It's obviously people having to have a wallet and people having to buy an NFT Add, add in an extra layer of friction but then what they can get out of it it's not just you know tokens because to a lot of people tokens uh, yes that means monetary value but then also is really alien is very um you know alien to them but what if you bring it back to that real life experience that they can have for example back to what i said give them resources that will help them to build their active lifestyle that is something that they could actually relate in their everyday life um you, you help them plan a running routine you help them um, you know, look at ways to meal prep, for example. So these utility could actually come from an NFT because you gate it with access. Um, and as, as long as they can rele uh, resonate, um, I think it, it's going to work. So the connection between the, the digital still, right, and then, and then having a, a reward or, or, or a value creation that crosses the digital world, right? And uh, Trey, what can you say to, towards, uh, towards what's your perspective or experience? What have you been seeing working with, with major, especially brands, in the connection between the digital and, and, and the physical world, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's really important. Um, for example, Marissa was talking about building that running community and how you could get different access um, as you perform different activities to Discord. To me, like what... What is also exciting about that type of model too is the ability to like meet other people with the same types of goals and values and have those meetups in real life, whether that is um, at something like NFT NYC, which is happening right now, or whether it's just meeting someone on Discord and Twitter and figuring out that they like to run in the same part of the city that you do. And that connection now um, becomes even deeper within that community and it, and it brings a lot of value that is not just um, you know something that you can put a price tag on like a ticket to a concert or something. So I think the 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 idea that you're tying these physical or these digital aspects or assets to physical actions and physical events is going to be something that's going to remain very important, even as I think we're all believe that we're going to live our lives even more and more digitally in the coming years. I think, and I'll just continue on there. You know, it, with Marissa's example, like. 
a lot of the stuff that her team's working on right now is kind of like that blended part of that digital and physical space, right? So if you're in the metaverse, but you're physically working out, you know, like, is that a digital or is that a physical experience? And, and like, same thing with like, if you were thinking about Ray-Bans, like AR glasses that had specific, like, um, when you're running, it can tell you like how far you run and like can help you with your pace. So there's going to be a lot of blended experiences that will help like onboard a lot of people who might not be as interested in the technology into the space and inter interacting with it. And it's, it's that digital that's so important to get us to eventually, whether it's five years, 10 years from now, to that fully realized vision of what a metaverse could be or what the metaverse should be or will be. Um, I often liken it to, you know, web one where you went online and you announced that you went online and your modem made noises to announce that you went online, you disconnected from the real world and you were, you were online. And today it would be really weird if we like said to each other right now that we're online because we are right. So, so we know we have a, a fully realized internet because we don't talk about it. Um, and I think that's what will happen with the metaverse eventually where, you know, Trey's example of these Ray-Bans, we're talking about that as like a metaversal experience, but that's just going to be life, right? You'll have access to your health data in your sunglasses, like that just will happen, right? Um, and, and another point um, that's interesting to me on this topic is how this flies in the face of the dystopian vision that people usually uh, sort of assign to the metaverse, right? Everyone's like, oh, we're going to be jacked into VR all day and everyone's going to be super unhealthy and malnourished and, you know, they're going to die with their headsets on. And, and this is like the exact opposite, right? This is trying to foster, particularly in Marissa's example with Dustland, trying to actually foster a more healthy style of living through metaversal tools, which is like supreme irony for all the haters out there. But, you know, if you're living it and you're seeing it, this is just one example of, of a great application of a killer technology. So love it. Love all this stuff. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think going back to it as well, I, I really resonated with like go, the log online point that you made. So like, you know, we used to talk about like logging on to like a web page and now we never talk about web pages. I also wonder and like a similar thing, like we always we talk about like purchasing an NFT. Will that be like, oh no, I that might that term might not be something that we actually are going to be using. It might just be like acquiring a digital asset or acquiring an asset online. I don't know. It's just an interesting concept to think about as like the technology progresses, it might not be the same terminology five years from now. Brian, you uh, mentioned uh, previously one keyword, uh, which is user-generated content, and uh, this this term has been actually kind of uh, coined from a Web two world. Well, the understanding is completely different, right? So you contribute towards a a closed super garden, right, of of of, of an entity, right, of the social medias, especially without mentioning any names, right, and then you don't have anything from it as an end user. Now, moving into Web three, this word user-generated has a totally different perspective, right? If we put, if walk us through some, some user-generated collaborative experiences and value creations out of it. What have you guys experienced? Maybe just start with Brian and then, and then we circulate the same, the same question with double click on it. I mean, anything happening in these social virtual worlds, whether it's a large sandbox environment like Decentraland or an in-browser right. brand safe experience like Spatial or Mono or OnCyber, that's all user generated content. Um, and it's meant to be more social. It's meant to be an immersive sort of 3D Twitter spaces, if you will, right? Like you can have a discussion, you can have an experience um, just more in a more immersive gamified sort of way. Um, and, and, and that's, that's really, um, what that's about. Um, 
is, is, is empowering people to create. And, and I think a good note here um, to talk about future state is that if, if we're building a metaverse that's worth living in to any extent, half hour a day, hour a day, et cetera, there needs to be an enormous amount of UGC uh, to actually captivate people to want to be there. And Matthew Ball, an advisor to Polygon Studios, a great future, uh, futurologist and, and thinker in the space, Tommaso, I'm sure you speak to Matthew. You know, he speaks on this subject, how we need, basic, there's no game studio in the world who could produce enough UGC or, or enough content from the studio or encourage enough UGC to make this a world worth living in, right? Um, just, just think about how serendipitous our world, this is all UGC, right? Like, like we're on God's platform. If you're a religious, right? Like he, he developed the studio and here we are having these conversations. This is UGC and this is what is needed in an immersive, uh, 3d world that we will call the metaverse. Okay. Metaverse nation. Great news. If you're enjoying this episode, you'll love our book. Written by our lovely co-hosts and industry leaders in the NFT and metaverse space, we published an in-depth guide for how to succeed in the new Web 3.0 environment. How can you as a brand or a company capitalize on the momentum? How are others doing it? We demystify the industry and potential for you. The link to the book is listed in the show notes, or you can simply look for the Navigating the Metaverse book on Amazon or visit our website at themetaversebook.me. But let's get back to the show. Yeah, Trey, you want to go next? Uh, User-generated content from your perspective. Yeah, I think you're already seeing a ton of it, even in the space that we're at right now, where people are taking like their NFTs and IP rights that they're getting with their NFTs and building on top of it. So a great example is Seth Green. I know he just had his a little bit of a saga with his board Ape, but he developed he's developing a whole TV show around the IP rights that he gets for being the holder of that token. Another good example of that is, is Spotty Wi-Fi, who's a, a crypto punk rapper, and he's built a, a whole persona and and releases music under that. So to me, that's a, a really exciting space where they're generating a lot of a content and generating a lot of like additional IP for both their individually owned assets, as well as for the collections as a whole that is happening now. And as we move forward, I think what Brian said really resonates with me where the internet really took off when people were able to generate their own content, whether it's on MySpace, on Facebook, on Twitter and on Instagram, when people would be able to go in and post stuff and you'd be able to follow other people. And I think the metaverse will be very similar when you can go on and, and have user-generated experiences. I think that's when you'll see a lot more people uh, be able to come in and actually appreciate those experiences and find value in them. Love it. And adding on to that point, actually, um, for Dustland, so we actually bought a um, ape ourselves from Border Yacht Club. We actually integrated our own ape into the Dustland character. So that in our story plot, which is um, planned for like this post-apocalyptic time, we actually have this ape as a character. So I think, you know, us walking the talk, we literally want to be there to collaborate, but also be a user ourselves as we kind of acquire and um, be part of other projects to see how we could bring those energy back into our own um, Dustland Runner. I, 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 I think that the, 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 the value creation, right, if I double click also into what Trey is saying, right, expanding, taking an existing digital asset and allowing um, a community, third parties, right, to build up on it in any direction and recreating with that again a new utility, right? That's the that's the that's the beauty of of uh, the collaboration in in Web three and 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 metaverses, right? And Marissa, you mentioned that there at the beginning um, 
another fundamental uh, keyword, uh, interoperability, right? What is in your point of view actually the core challenge that we have in mid-22 in order to have a seamless interoperability and how do are we actually moving towards more seamless experiences? If you ask me, I think um, a lot of projects are very busy kind of building out their own game and making sure that it's solid. So when we look at interoperability, it really depends on the maturity of where a different project could be. Because let's say, you know, if we look into the uh, move to end space, um, we've got, you know, Genopets also as one of our other kind of partnering projects. But as we look at integrating with them, like how ready are we both in terms of our community maturity as well as the readiness to actually go into another project and have an offering and have that extra um, utility offering. So I think the challenge is, I think different projects are really starting to um, at a stage where they want to focus on developing their own projects, uh, but maybe give it a couple more months. I, I think there'll be a lot more integration and collaboration between um, yeah, projects. Yeah, Ryan, integration, collaboration, or oh, Trey, you want to go next, please? Yeah, I was saying I, I'm I'm totally on the same page as Marissa. I think from my perspective, I see it a lot more around like, hey, I own my digital wallet, and my digital wallet becomes uh, the pieces in my digital wallet become part of my identity. And then as I'm able to go into different spaces, the tokens in my wallet will mean different things. So whether I'm in a specific metaverse that's centered around the MBA, well, maybe my MBA tokens mean specific things in that arena. If uh, I go into a metaverse that Marissa and her team are building, maybe my MBA tokens would mean that I can get access into um, a basketball game or a basketball group. So it's just going to be very interesting as we move towards this space where you bring your wallet to all these different spaces and you sign in with it and it's able to read what's in your wallet. It's just going to be very interesting to see how um, experiences can be built um, off of what you actually have in your wallet. Yeah, and on that note, <clears throat> on the asset sort of ownership side, which is, you know, the wallet, right? Therein lies issues with interoperability of, of giving users the ability to actually use these assets in different worlds, right? These worlds having the same standards where uh, a shirt inside one virtual world can appear in the aesthetic purity of another virtual world. And without developing these standards, we won't get to that future state that has been promised to users of asset ownership, of true ownership. You can transfer the asset, you can move it around, of course, but uh, you know the, the display of it and the utility of it in other virtual worlds, we're not there yet. And an analogy here that I like to give uh, is to go back to like the 18th century and think about you know the transcontinental railroad in the United States, right? We had different size gauges on the tracks and you couldn't get a train from New York to San Antonio. It couldn't happen. You would have to change the tracks or change the wheels or it just wasn't possible. It's physically, that's a limitation, right? And that's kind of what we're seeing today, right? Getting assets from one place to another, we need a similar gauge or the same gauge on these tracks that are uh, web standards, wallets, et cetera. So I, I, I really like the, the fact that uh, we all go in the same direction, which is always user-centering. We say, at the end of the day, what we want is you know, an ID, a, a digital me with a wallet where you collect uh, your, you know, your tokens, your non-fungible tokens, your own, any digital assets, right? In any, any behavior, any communication that we are aggregating here in the Web3. And then we would like to move this seamless, right? From metaverse or from location to location. And I really love the, the analogy that you brought up, Brian. I was not aware that this was the fact, right? So it makes it very, very tangible, right? It's always good when, when the brain can picture the reason why something doesn't work, right? So it's about the rail tracks that right now are not, uh, are not equal, right? Um, 
often we get asked the question, and I do, and I've heard it from many peers, and I would like to bounce off here up on you, and especially Trey, um, the right metaverse, right? Often brands come and say, hey, you know, there is a great community going on. I would like to be part of it, right? But what is the right metaverse? We are assessing and evaluating it, right? So, and if this word right wouldn't be there, right? What, 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 is, it, what is an evaluation? Or what would you share? What are you sharing, Trey? And, and, and then obviously Marissa and Brian to figure out what is the right digital environment? What are the values attributes that might it basically um, create a valuable, a valuable experience for, for brands and communities? And just so I understand the question, are you talking about like what's in the market now or where, where we're going to be in the future? You take it either right now, right, like right now in terms of you know uh, brands wanting to to play a role in a digital environments called metaverses, right, and then they try to respond to the question, you know, is this right for me? Like, do I, is this the the correct community slash digital environment to access? How do you how do you define right in this in this terms? Yeah, this is a really good question. It's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about right now. Um, I think in general, the, the term, the metaverses out there can really be broken down into two key buckets. The first bucket is, is centered around more of like extension of the attention economy. So you can think about meta, you can think about like Fortnite, Roblox. These are very centralized platforms that are building out like immersive digital environments. Um, however, they're not as centered on blockchain technology yet. And then on the other side is you have these metaverses that are being built, such as Sandbox and Decentraland that are very much based on uh, blockchain technology and digital asset ownership. Um, from our perspective, where brands and where people are playing right now, they're definitely more in those centralized metaverses. Um, the decentralized metaverses have a lot of opportunity and a lot of funding, and they've built some really good products. However, the scale there to play in is just not that high yet. I believe I saw... Uh, I can't. I think it was the Central Land had like three hundred thousand monthly active users, which on a on a platform like that is not very large. When you're looking at Fortnite, you know they have a lot more uh, scale there. Where Travis Scott did a concert, and I think there was like eleven million people or someone something like that who showed up. So it's really interesting to kind of play through that as we look forward and and think through. You know, what are we looking at in two years, in five years? I think these worlds are going to become closer together. And I think Brian and his team are helping push that development of these really high-level games and experiences that still have that fundamental underlaying of blockchain technology that brings value to the players. I'll take that as a prompt. Um, and I, I think so far people have realized that I like to give analogies. So um, I'll give the analogy of like the early 2010s you know, as social Media and Web2 started to really burst onto the scene and find its sea legs and become what it became, right? You know, you would have brands ask questions like, which social media is right for me? Uh, you would have retailers ask like, where should I sell my goods? And that just morphed into sort of an omni-chain strategy on the retail side and an omni-media media strategy on the social side where, you know, you, you find what social media works for you the best. You find what marketplaces or what drop shipping works for you the best, or maybe it's your direct consumer, or maybe it's selling off the timeline on Instagram. You just figure it out over time. And you kind of have to be everywhere in a sense for most brands, you know, um, you have to experiment, you have to figure it out. But at the end of the day, it's meant to be a seamless experience where you are where your customers are and they can, they can, that's the whole point of Omni, right? They can check out to bring it back to retail. They can check out wherever is convenient for them. 
So I think over time, what we'll see based off that analogy is that all of these worlds will exist. Closed uh, beta metaverses like, you know, Horizons and, and uh, Gather Town and, and all of these more centralized experiences, Fortnite games specifically, these open decentralized metaverses that we see from, you know, the ones that we've mentioned, Decentraland, Sandbox, et cetera. There will be bridges between them, and I think that they will all have a, a specific use case for specific types of brands. Some brands will play a little bit more in Decentraland, some will play a little bit more in Horizon, and it will be for the user to decide where he or she wants to engage with that brand. So uh, I think Omni is really the way to look at this in, in future state. I love and it. adding on that, I totally agree. Um, one funny um well, incident that I had was I had a friend who come to me and say, hey, I've got this website and, and I'm selling all these goods. Should I actually open a Metaverse um, storefront literally just to sell goods? And, you know, there's a lot of reasons I think why brands should join the Metaverse. But if you're not planning to build that experience, to me, it's a hard no, because you don't need another extra touch point where you have to think of traffic. You know, how do you bring in your traffic and bring in your leads to hopefully you know, sell, you know, to, to kind of ramp up your sales number. Um, but that's probably the least thing you want. But if you're ready to kind of build out the experience, and as Brian said, like, it's really how everything, you have to make sure one connects to the other and, you know, the online, offline. If you're ready for that, give it a try. And I totally agree. Every, this is just the beginning of, you know, exploration. Everyone is literally just trying to find their footing in what works and what doesn't. Another phenomenal episode of Navigating the Metaverse with Marissa, Brian, and Trey. But before we wrap up things, Marissa, let's start with you first. Take me 10 years down the road. What oh, I are... actually... Yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> uh, what, what, what I wanted to ask, what's your vision on how a Metaverse looks like and what are obstacles that we are seeing right now? But go ahead, please, Marissa, you wanted to ask something. Yeah, sure. No, I was thinking that you're going to ask something about the prediction, take you down, you know, the the timeline right. ten years. So I was ready for that. Um, oh, I, we were all you listen to about, some other podcast. <laughs> um, we were all talking about what NFTs would be in like you know five ten years time. Um, I don't know whether this is kind of the best representation, but um, you know, in Hong Kong we have the octopus card, but in you know the UK you have the oyster card. Basically, like a card where it give you access to something. Um, and if I may, I would just focus on the you know sports entertainment or sports gaming area. To me, what ten years I think could be um, like is I personally watch a lot of football. You know, let's say for a club that I I support, this NFT represents that I'm I'm their fan. And if I go into let's say a FIFA um, game. Um, I get this special jersey again. Sorry, back to my first narrative. I, I get this free NFT, which gives me jersey so that my players could have a higher rating or their fatigue level doesn't fall in the first 10 minutes. So I you know, perform better. But then also this access somehow give me, you know, tickets to a real life um, match. So to me, um, you know, in 10 years time, I guess what I'm trying to say is one NFT probably is going to be able to bring you or open a lot of doors. This will then essentially just become your key to um, a lot of, the uh, access and identity that you want to be belong to, um, you know, in the digital world. And phenomenal. Thank you so much, Marisa. Um, Trey? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think your digital wallet is going to be super important. I believe it's going to become a lot easier to use and it's going to become a lot more secure. I think those are... Uh, two fundamental things that will be solved over the next five years so that it can onboard the next billion users or whatever it may be. 
I think that you're going to be able to take your digital wallet in physical places or in digital places and unlock different experiences and different attributes, like Marissa said. I also believe there's going to be a ton of brands who have either get into this technology very early or who are native to this technology, very similar to what we saw in Web2, who actually build their brand because of their success and their ability to navigate this technology well. I think we'll have a, a combination of, of very strong AR experiences where you'll be able to um, enhance your life as well as VR for specific um, reasons like you know going to a concert virtually, watching a sports game. I don't know if we'll be in the state of you know living our whole lives in it, but there will be experiences that will be enhanced using that technology. So we go from NFT becoming ID identity and the wallet, the core, the core assets, right? Then augmented reality and virtual reality, different experience types. Brian, please be for us the Michelangelo. Paint us another yes. anecdote to wrap up things here and navigating the metaverse. Ten years. Wait a second. I'm sitting down. <laughs> okay. One one more analogy. One more anecdote to, to think about Facebook and and to think about you know Web three and for anyone who's working in Web3, dog years, right? Like one month is one year. Like it, it is right. just so fast, right? So to think about Facebook, founded in 2004 by 2014 was worth hundreds of billions of dollars, right? That's a 10-year space in Web2. And we're moving way faster than Web2 moved, right? So I don't think it's crazy to say that we will hockey stick even further as an as a industry, this metaversal industry, than what social media did in those 10 years. Uh, and what does that mean? Well, to, to look at some of the analysts on the street, right? You have City, Citigroup. Uh, they put out a report that by 2030, the metaversal economy will be eight to $13 trillion. That's a very conservative firm saying a crazy number, right? So I think that we can probably say that that's a conservative estimate for as wild as that sounds, right? Uh, and I think building off of Trey and Marissa, a lot of the abstractions will occur, right? Like we will get rid of these frictions. You won't have to know what an RPC is to change your network, to move assets around in your MetaMask. MetaMask won't look the way it looks. MetaMask won't be the only game in town. I mean, it's not today. There are lots of really great wallets, but it does have the lion's share of users. Um, I just think that the next 10 years to try to predict how it happens is almost a fool's errand because the explosion is coming. I mean, just look at history uh, with social media, and I think that we're going to move even more quickly. Thank you so much, Marissa, Trey, Brian. I appreciate your time and uh, allowing us to brainstorm and pick your brains and sharing lessons learned here with our audience at Navigating the Metaverse. I'll see you at our next episode. And as always, I'll meet you in the Metaverse. Bye. Thank you for listening. Another quick reminder about our referral code for Upland, the Earth's Metaverse where you can flip virtual properties, become a MetaVentures entrepreneur, or just connect with other like-minded players to rebuild the world together. Download Upland on iOS, Android, or web today using the referral link in the show notes and get a 6,000 FX sign-up bonus. Just a quick disclaimer, the information shared on this show is for entertainment purposes only. This is not investment advice. Thank you for joining us and see you in the metaverse.